It is week number three of I once was broke, but now I'm not, where we are making it our goal as a church to help your family to experience financial freedom. Financial pressure, as we've told you throughout this series, is costing us far more than we want to admit. It is costing some of us our marriages. It is costing some of us our mental health. It is costing some of us our joy. It is costing us our future. And God, I do not believe, wants us to live with constant, constant, just unending pressure around money. And so our goal is to help to to do all that we can as a church to see a deliverance in this particular area of your life. But to do that, we've got to integrate biblical principles into our money and into our finances. So today, what I'm going to to start out with today is an illustration to remind you of what we've covered and to help you to understand where we're going today. So I have up here on the platform a bag of 10 golf balls, all right? Now, the only reason I have 10 golf balls is because I haven't gone golfing in a while. Because if I had gone golfing, these would be in the weeds, they'd be in the water, they'd be in the woods. If you want to feel unbelievable, I mean unbelievable, PGA Tour level about your golf game, you come with your pastor golfing, <laughs> okay? You hit the ball down the fairway, I'll hit it in the woods, you'll feel like a million bucks all day long, right? But I've got 10 golf balls here, and I want you to imagine for a second that these 10 golf balls, just, just imagine that these represent the, the, the resources that pass through your hands every single month, right? So, so every single month, you, you, have, you have resources that, that are given to you by God. And, and here's what I want us to remember is that week number one, we've been talking about different principles on how to handle these resources. And on week number one, we told you this, that God owns everything. It's called the ownership principle. God is the owner and I am the manager. So the first thing we try to help you to understand biblically is that the resources that are in your hands are not actually yours. And I know that's a little confusing because you go out and you work a job and that job pays you. Or you run a company, you run a business and, 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 and wealth gets generated out of it. But what we've got to understand is that everything that comes into our hands, the scriptures teach us, actually comes from God. He is the initiator of all the wealth that comes to us. We're called to manage it well. That's the ownership principle. Now, the principle of last weekend, of the week number two of the series, is what we call the giving principle. And the giving principle says this, that we give of our firsts by addition, then God gives second by multiplication. So the idea behind the giving principle was this, that that if I've got 10 golf balls that pass through my hands in a given month, I'm supposed to give of my first fruits. So rather than my giving being done absolutely last, I'm supposed to give first. And what I'm supposed to do is to tithe, take one of my 10 golf balls and give it to the Lord. And when I give it to God, what God does because I give of my first is he then promises us that he's going to start his giving. So he multiplies what we give outward, and he multiplies what he gives back to the giver, and he actually returns something back to the giver. Now these are the two principles that we've covered so far. And because of the, because of the giving principle, um, I believe so strongly in this, that, that, I, that, that I've been tithing for many, many years of my life, and I've seen the work and the hand and the blessing of the Lord on my finances because of it. And so we gave you last weekend the 90-day tithe challenge. And we actually challenged you to consider, would you try for three months putting God to the test, which is what he invites you to do in the book of Malachi. Would you actually put God to the test and try it? 
and trust the Lord and see if you don't discover that God absolutely blesses what your hands touch. This is a consistent story of people in our church. Now, real quickly, just this week, I had a lady in our church. I was on the phone call with her, and, and, and she told me like this unbelievable story that two years ago, she did this. She took a tithe challenge, basically, and, and, uh, and she and her husband did, and she said, Pastor, in the last two years, I'm not making the story up, guys. She said, in the last two years, I can't tell you what's happened. She said, my income has soared. My husband's income has soared. We have seen the blessing of God in a way we never did before when we started actually being obedient to scripture on this. And I hear, as a pastor, I hear so many of these stories that, that I want you to, I want you to experience what other people in the body of Christ experience when they trust God. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get engaged and trust God to meet you where you're at. So those were the first two principles, the ownership principle and the giving principle. Now the problem is that what happens in many churches is that the teaching on scripture stops, like they, they, they sort of act sometimes like the teaching on scripture stops there. So sometimes what happens in churches is when we talk about money, we only talk about the one we're supposed to give back to God. And then we just end all conversation around money. We move on down the road like there's nothing else in the Bible about money. But you and I both know that if I'm faithful and I give the one, I've still got nine I'm supposed to manage, right? And the question is, does God care about what I do with the other nine? You see, sometimes we get this picture that God only cares about the one we give, right? And that is not what I'm trying to help you understand. That is not an accurate biblical understanding of God's concern about our resources. He's not concerned only with the one. Now, he is concerned about this one. But I'm telling you, God is also concerned about what we do with these nine and whatever he gives back to us when we give. He is absolutely concerned with how we steward and manage the whole pot. By the way, I'm terrified that I'm going to drop these and golf balls are going to go everywhere today. I'm going to try not to make that happen. That's going to ruin my illustration, right? Okay, so what I want you to understand is that God is concerned that actually... The teachings in scripture are very broad on money. I'm going to show you some of it today. There is a ton of teaching in scripture about what to do with the other nine. Okay, so check this out. I, this may shock some of you. Jesus, in the Gospels, gives us 38 parables. Okay? So a parable is a, is a story that has a spiritual meaning to it. That's what a parable is. Do you know... That 17 of Jesus' parables deal either with money or with possessions, which is what we buy with our money. 17 of his parables deal with money and possessions. That is 45% of the stories that he told deal with how we are handling our bag of golf balls. Now don't tell me that God's not concerned about the whole pot when Jesus is giving so much attention to this topic. This is a big deal to God. Why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because, one, this bag of golf balls has the ability to train wreck our lives if we mismanage it. This bag of golf balls has the ability to distract us and to become the love of our heart if we don't love God well. So God's very concerned with it. This, this bag of golf balls has the potential to multiply the kingdom of heaven forward if we learn how to give off of it. 
So God is incredibly concerned with what we do with our bag of golf balls. You all understand? You, you, you're getting this. Now I'm going to show this to you in scripture today. I'm going to show you one of the 17 parables that deal with this particular issue. And what we're going to see come out of this parable is our next spiritual principle. And this is one that we call the investment principle. And the investment principle says this, that when God invests in us, he expects a return. So this principle is, is bigger than just only money. But it's a principle that absolutely captures money as well as other topics. So what we find in scripture is that God views himself as being the one who gives us everything. Because he does. So what does God give you in your life? Well, he gives you talents. He gives you intelligence. He gives you abilities. He gives you spiritual gifts, like specific spiritual gifts that are given to you at the moment of salvation when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you. He gives you open doors and opportunities. He gives you the job that you have. He gives you a career advancement. Like God gives all of this to you. So, so God sees himself as an investor in you. And as any wise investor would do, you would never make an investment into a company and just go, you know what, I'm going to pump all this money into this company. And you know, if I lose it, I lose it. Okay, unless you're a billionaire and you just have money coming out your ears, you're not thinking that way. And you're thinking, no, no, I want to get a return on what I invest. So when God is investing in you, whether it's gifts or talents or spiritual gifts, he's expecting a return back. And here's the thing. God views every golf ball in your bag as something that he gave to you. Which means that when he invests this in you, he expects you to be a wise and good manager and to bring a return back to him for his kingdom. That's the investment principle. And that's what Jesus talks about in the parable that I'm going to show you today. So this parable comes out of the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Very well-known uh, parable by Jesus. It's called the parable of the bags of gold. All right, so I'm just going to start reading Jesus' parable. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And he's, and he's absolutely dealing with money in this parable. Here's what he says. Jesus said, again, it, that is the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another Jesus said he gave two bags, and to another he gave one bag, each according to his ability, and then this man, he went on his journey. All right. So what we have in Jesus' parable are four characters in this story. We have a, a, a master, like the head of the household, and then we have three different servants. Okay? Now every character in the story represents somebody or something. And so this is one of those parables. Some of Jesus' parables are very hard to interpret. This one's a lot easier to interpret. All right, the master is God. That's who the master in the story represents. He, he's God. And so here, here what we have is a story that the, Jesus says the master of the household has all kinds of wealth. And the master wants to go, you know, off on a trip. So he, so he calls his three servants. And who are the servants? Well, of course, they represent us and how we steward what God gives to us. So he, so he calls the servants in front of him and he, he you know, gets all three of them and he says, hey, hey guys, here's the deal. Um, you know, I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to be gone for a while. Okay? Scriptures don't say he went to Hawaii, but we all know that's where you go if you're going to go away. Where else would you go if you had all kinds of money? I'm going to Hawaii. I'm going to be there for quite some time. Now, I have a lot of wealth and I don't want my wealth to go to waste while I'm gone. 
So I'm going to give my wealth to you and I'm going to ask you to be an excellent steward of it. I'm going to make an investment into you. So he calls the first guy forward. He's like, hey, Joe, listen, man, you, you have absolutely killed it as you've led my household. I've seen you again and again and again do just an unbelievable job. I'm giving you five bags of my gold. Five bags, here you go. And, and, and Joe gets five bags, right? Then he calls the next guy. He's, he's like, Charlie, you've been, in, you've been incredible. Not quite as incredible as Joe. That's okay, but you've been incredible in your management, your stewardship. So, so Charlie, I'm going to give you two bags of my gold. Would you steward this really, really well? All right? And then he calls Steve. Poor Steve. You know, and Steve, you know, Steve hasn't managed real well in the past. Steve has been known to kind of lose things. Steve has been known to operate without a plan. Steve, you know, Steve's like a good dude, and right, he serves the master, but Steve hasn't been the best manager. So Steve, he just calls Steve, Steve, come on, come on, listen, listen, I want you to follow the teaching of, you know, Joe and Charlie. You go follow their teaching and see how they make an investment. I'm going to give you one of my bags of gold. Would you please steward this really well for me? That's, that's the story. That's what's going on in this parable. And so what happens is the first thing we've got to see is that the master does not distribute equally. So if you're looking for equality in the world, get over it. You're going to be real disappointed. The world ain't equal. And God does not just distribute out gifts and talents equally. Like we don't all have James's talent here, do we? Okay? I'm close, okay? Some of us are further. But we don't all just have that level of talent. Like, God does not give talents and gifts and abilities out equally, nor does he give financial resources out equally. But he expects everybody, with whatever we have, to be a great manager and to bring back a return on the investment. So Jesus goes on with the story, all right? And uh, he, he says this, uh, verse, um, verse 16. He says, the man who had received the five bags of gold went to work at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. And so also the one with the two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who had received the one bag went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. So, you know, here's the deal. So, so Joe and Charlie, what do they do? They, they take their bags of gold, and I mean, they go to work with it. You could just get this picture of these two servants. They're not worried about who has more. They're worried about being excellent with what they have. So, you know, they're opening up their bag and, you know, they're asking questions like, who can I hire into my master's household to pay them that will produce a greater return back to me? What strategic opportunities can I invest in that will bring more back to my master? Can I manage this well? Can I track it? Can I, can I, can I follow my expenses? Can I make sure I know where the money's going? Can I invest it really, really well so I can produce something great for my master? And two of the guys do that. And then you get Steve. You know, and Steve's bitter and Steve's mad because, you know, one guy got five and one guy got two. And so you just get this picture that Steve just like picks up a shovel and he's like, you know, they got five and he got two over there. So I'm just going to dig a hole and big a hole and I'm just going to take my master's money and I'll drop it right down in the hole and I'll just bring it to him when he comes back. That's Steve's attitude. And so now, a long time later, the master does come back. And he starts to call everybody to account to say, what did you do with what I put into your hands? And so here's how the story goes. It says, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. 
And so the first thing he did is he called the guy with the, with the five bags in front of him, okay? Uh, and, and he says, the man who had received uh, five bags of gold uh, brought the other five. And master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. So he calls Joe in front of him. And Joe's like, look, you gave me five. Check it out. I invested. I hired good employees. I fired the bad ones. You know, I, I, I put money into the right opportunities. And guess what I did? I've got 10 bags now to give you of the five that you gave me. And so the master of the story is so pleased with, with, with what this guy does that, that what he does is, verse 21, it says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Would you come and share in your master's happiness? So he says to this guy, you have been so faithful with what I gave you that I will give you more. You get more. Because I know I can trust you. You've managed the whole pot well. I know I can trust you. And so the guy gets more. And then he calls the guy with the two bags in front of him. And it's the same exact story. And, and the master does not expect the guy with the two bags to have produced five. He knows that he started with less. But the guy with the two bags, Charlie comes over and yells, Master, check it out. You gave me two. I've got four to give back to you. I'm expenses. I manage well. Here's four more. And the master says the exact same thing to that guy. Unbelievable job. Would you come also and share in your master's happiness? You also are going to be given more because I know I can trust you. And then they call Steve, you know? Poor Steve. Bad attitude Steve. And Steve walks up and he, and he goes and he gets his shovel and he, you know, he digs up his, his bag out of the ground and he, and he pulls out this bag and it, his bag of gold has worms coming out of it and mud all over it and maggots inside and grub and, you know, all over the, the gold. And he just comes back to his master like, well, master, you, you, you only gave me one bag of gold. You didn't give me five. You didn't give me two. So here's your bag of gold back. That's what he says to him. What happens now is that the master of the household gets incredibly angry with him. Gets incredibly angry with him. And so here's what happened. Jumping down to verse 26. This is, this is what the master says. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And now listen to what the master says to the guy. This is, this is kind of harsh. Verse 28, he said, So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. You know, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is a phrase that gets used in other parts of God's word to describe people who are heading into hell. Now, let's not get confused. You're not heading to hell if you mismanage your money, okay? But I want you to understand what God is trying to show us through this parable of Jesus is that, is that this is of enormous concern to God. 
You see, if, if, if all you've ever heard about money is that the only thing that God cares about is that God just wants you to be faithful to give the one, if that's all you've ever heard, then, then what, what, what's gone on with that is, is you spent your whole life viewing the other nine as yours. You've probably felt guilty if you haven't been able to deliver on the one the way you were supposed to. And you just have a misunderstanding. God is radically concerned with the entire pot. It matters what we do. a ton of teaching on this. There's a ton of teaching in the scriptures. Like, if you were to sort through the biblical teaching on money, there is so much teaching about the other nine. So much teaching about it. Now, I'm going to give you, give you some examples of this. I'm going to show you just like a few quick examples of other parts of God's word that show us the level of God's concern. So, here's a, here's a different teaching of Jesus, Okay. Totally different part of the, of the gospel is Luke 14. And, and Jesus makes a statement that I think should apply to how we look at the other nine. Luke chapter 14 verse 28. Jesus said, suppose that one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not be able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So sometimes what happens to us is, is we take our bag and we don't necessarily operate with a clear plan. And we just charge forward in life. Hey, I'm going to build a tower, you know? And you're, I'm just going to buy my first seven blocks and start, you know? And you, just, and you just get started and you complete. Sometimes some of us run through life not actually estimating well what things are going to cost. And so then we can't finish projects. And Jesus says we lose credibility. And here's the thing, it, it, it's about strategic planning, right? So, so, so let's put it in real terms, because you're probably not building a tower in your backyard. But you probably are going on vacation. And you know vacation's coming up next summer. And it ain't free, guys. You know that. So how about planning now and estimating what it's going to cost so we can set money aside every single month so that when the vacation comes, we can enjoy the vacation without stress of money and go home and not have debt on our credit card? How about Christmas? Hey, newsflash, it's coming up in a couple months, right? I don't know if you know, it happens you know, and every year, you know, you go out and you spend a lot more than you normally do, right? So how about we operate with a plan that says, hey, Christmas is coming up again. Let's set some aside every single month to be ready and prepared so that when it gets here, we can just pay for Christmas and it's okay and we're not buried with debt. That's what Jesus is saying. And that is not teaching just about the one, that's teaching about the whole pot, the whole bag of gold. God's concerned about this. Now, now listen, let, let, let's go to other parts of scripture, okay? Old Testament. There is tons of teaching in the Old Testament about what to do with our other nine golf balls. All right, I'm just going to show you just a little bit. I'm going to get two verses out of Proverbs 13, all right? So, so Proverbs is wisdom that's being written to us so we can be wise people. Here's what Proverbs 13 and verse 7 says. It says this, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing, and another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. 
That is not a teaching about the one golf ball. That's a teaching about what we do with the nine. Because some of us have gotten ourselves so concerned with looking good in front of people that we spend ourselves into oblivion. Because we've always got to have new clothes. Always got to have new shoes. Always got to upgrade something in the house. Always have to buy the new car. You know, the, the previous car still has a lot of mileage it could go, but we got to do the trade-in and we got to move up. And because, what we're trying to do is look rich in front of people. And the writer of Proverbs says, you can do that. You won't have any left if you do. But then, have you ever met somebody who, who is, is a very humble? They don't act their wealth. They don't act like they're crazy wealthy. Maybe they make a great salary. You know they make a big salary. But their house is like, man, their house might actually be a little smaller than mine. You know? And, 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 and they're not necessarily always driving, always the brand new, constantly brand new vehicle. You know? And I know, I know they've got more money. I'm almost certain about it. You see, and what, what, what scripture would say is that's a person who managed their nine really well. And so actually they accumulate great amount of wealth over time because they're not concerned with looking wealthy in front of everybody. This is teaching about how we handle the other nine and what, whatever God multiplies back to us off of our giving. Check this one. Here's another one, okay? Um, Proverbs 13 and verse 22 says this. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Do you know that it is of great concern to God that you would manage this so well that you would actually be able to hand something down generationally so that your children would be blessed and your children's children would be blessed? You know, I, I, sometimes I hear uh, people joke around, and I don't know if they're joking or if they're serious when they say this, but I, sometimes I hear like grandparents joke around. And it's like, oh, my kids aren't going to have anything left. My goal is to spend my last dollar on my last day. Okay. God might just send you out with his weeping and gnashing of teeth for that kind of stewardship. And that kind of absolute rebellion of what he gives you. Do you understand that, 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 that God is concerned? He, he's saying a good person. You know what a good person does? A good person spends their whole life managing their pot well and they produce generational wealth that goes to future generations. That's what a servant of God does. You see, we've got to start thinking differently. We've got to stop thinking like the world and how they approach money and start saying, how does God, because here's the thing, how does God want me to, to, to handle it? Because God's making an investment in me all the time. And guess what the investment principle says? It says that he's expecting a return on his investment. Now I want to help you. I'm going to tell you a very personal story to try to help you to understand the power of this and why this is so important. All right, I want you to I want you to wrap your heads today around why God is so utterly, massively concerned with how we handle what He puts into our hands. Okay, so so here's my story. At 34 years old, Janet and I moved here to Marietta, Ohio. At the time, we were living in uh, Indianapolis. Two years earlier, we had felt a calling of God to come here and to start this church. And so at 34 years old, we landed on the ground in, in Marietta, and we started the journey of church planting. Now, the, if you, if you want to go back to our backstory and say, why were we able to do that? Why were we able to leave? I had a really great job. 
I, I was, I was uh, rising in leadership in the, in the nonprofit organization I was in. I was getting paid more than I had ever been paid before. Uh, you know, I, things were going well. I had a great benefits package for my family. We, we had a very beautiful home. God, God blessed and blessed and blessed us. But, but he put a calling on our lives to, to leave all that. Now, why were we able to leave it? We were able to leave all that and take the risk to come and start this church because, in part, at that stage of our lives, we were almost debt-free. So 34 years old, we weren't totally debt-free yet, but we were close. So at that stage of our lives, the only remaining debt we had was my student loans. I had to pay, we were still, they took us another four or five years to get those paid down. But what I'm telling you is we did not have car payments and we did not have a mortgage payment at 34 years old. Now you're probably asking yourself, well, how do I get on that track? How does that happen? Well, let me, let me tell you, there were three factors. There were three factors that led to us being financially free at 34, which alleviated the pressure, which allowed us to say yes to God and to come and plant a church. So factor number one was I married an unbelievable financial manager. I mean, I've got to sing Janice praises. Financial management was not my, was not my gift. It wasn't, it, w- it wasn't what I was great at. I, I had so much to learn about it. Jana was excellent at it. I mean excellent at it. Jana, every single month, has a budget. Every single month, texts me and tells me if I'm overspending beyond the budget. Every month. I mean, it drives me crazy, right? But I mean, she tells me, I've got to, I mean, I've got to come with receipts back to her. She prepays cars. We buy cars that we don't own by putting money aside in savings every single month so that when the day comes for a car upgrade, a whole bunch of cash is sitting there so we can buy cars in cash. That's what my wife does. She is phenomenal at this. She's unbelievable. All right, the reason this church is financially, or, or at least has been historically financially healthy, uh, it's a little low right now. We, we went through some things this summer, as you know. But, but at, the reason we've been financially healthy is because I took her principles and I put them into the church. And it helped our church be financially healthy. Because listen, you know, she managed it well. So that was one factor in why. But that was not the only reason why we were able to get out of car debt, out of house debt, all that kind of stuff, and, and start paying down student loans. Another reason why is because we were faithful to the giving of the one. You go back to the beginning of our marriage. We started tithing when our income was $20,000. And we never stopped. And in fact, over the years, we actually started to give a little bit more than the, than the one golf ball. And what we discovered in our lives is God kept multiplying back. We kept seeing God bless back and bless back and bless back. And I told you this, I think, a week or two ago, but, but, but just to, like every house we bought, we bought low. Every house we sold, we sold crazy high. It just kept happening. That's how God, that's the kind of stuff God was doing for us and blessing us. So we were faithful with the one that we were supposed to tithe. But there's a third reason. The third reason why we were able to become debt, almost debt-free at 34 years old was because of generational wealth. Because what happened was there were previous generations that had given excellent stewardship to their bag of golf balls. So when it came time for us to buy cars, yes, we had all kinds of cash to put to them. We also had some generational wealth that helped. When it it came time to pay down mortgages, there was some generational wealth that helped. You see, previous generations had managed theirs really, really well. and, and, And some of that came down to us. Now, that's not the entirety of the story of how we were getting out of debt. But what happened is we were the beneficiaries of what people had done previously. 
So, so, so what I want you to wrap your head around today, if you want to try to understand, why is God so passionate about this? Because what it means is that if you pass down, on the one hand, a love for Jesus, not a love for the golf balls, a love for Jesus, if you pass that down, and you pass down a few bags of gold to future generations, then guess what happens? Future generations take their love for Jesus and their bags of gold and they deploy them for the kingdom. And that's how churches get planted. That's how missionaries get sent. Do you understand that some of you have grandkids that aren't even conceived yet? Somebody in here may have a granddaughter who's not even conceived yet. But because you are going to pass down through your family a love for Jesus Christ and you're going to pass down through excellent management some bags of gold... Your granddaughter is going to start an orphanage. And she's going to rescue people from poverty. And that's going to happen because of your management of the other nine in your bag. Some of you may have a grandson that you've never even met yet. He's not even, he doesn't even exist in this world yet. But you're going to pass down a love for Jesus. And you're going to pass down some bags of gold. And your grandson may plant a church, your grandson may fund missionaries, your grandson may become a missionary, your grandson may start to start an organization that will deploy many of them around the world, and God's kingdom will expand because you passed on a love for God and you passed on some bags of gold. You see, this is why this is so important to God. This is why so much scripture is written about this. So guys, I want everybody in this room to take a next step. I'm going to put up the slide that I've put up the last two weekends. It's the financial learning experience. And we're going to just hold the slide up for the remainder of my message. So you're going to have time to scan that QR code if you want. Let me, let me just give you a challenge. Some of you in this room have been like the servant. You've been like the Joe and the Charlie. Who you have been given bags of gold. And you have managed them really well in your life. And what I want to ask you to do, if you've been one of those people, would you scan that QR code right there? Or go to money.pw.church. And would you sign up? on that form to be a financial coach for somebody else. We have a training next Saturday morning. We will teach you how to be a coach. So you don't have to, you don't have to figure this all out on your own. We'll, we've got Enjoy Stewardship coming in to teach you how to coach. Because if you're going to pass some bags of gold on to future generations, don't you know that so many people in your church family would love to be able to do the same thing? They just need some help and some guidance to do it. So would you sign up to be a coach? But, but the reality is that, that a lot of us have struggled. If, if we're honest, a lot of us have been like that one servant who buried his one bag and isn't producing a financial return back to God. And if that's you, let me tell you that this series can be the turning point for you. So rather than accepting that as your story for the rest of your life, don't accept that as your story. Take some steps for change. And so what I'm asking you is, would you also go there? And would you sign up to come to the financial learning experience next Sunday night? And would you sign up to receive a financial coach? And would you sign up to get into a group, a six-week group that would help you to manage your resources well? We want to help you because I want to see you pass on to future generations both a love for Jesus and some bags of gold. Amen? You understand? All right, come on, I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray for everybody in this room and I pray for everybody online and God, I ask that you would help us. Oh Lord, we've got to repent of some mismanagement. 
We've got to repent, maybe, God, of, of, of not wanting to learn more about how to manage resources. But Lord, we know that you love us. We know that your arms are open to us. We know that you care about us. And we know that you are always willing to help us have a fresh start. So God, would you let this series be a fresh start for so many families in our church? Do something extraordinary with this. Now everybody stay with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you walked in today and, and maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that has changed your life. Maybe you felt very, very far from God in your life. And if that's you, I want you to know that this morning, God wants to reach you and his arms are open to you and you can turn away from your sin and you can turn to Jesus for the first time this morning. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to ask you to pray it with me if you want to turn to Christ. It's a prayer of inviting Jesus to forgive you of your sins and inviting him to come into your life and to save you and to change you. And I'm just going to ask you to pray very authentically if you want to turn to Jesus for the first time. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, will you please come into my life? I'm inviting you in. Jesus, I want to turn away from my sins because I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on a cross to save me. I believe you rose from the dead. And now Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't want to go through another day of this life without you. So please come into my life, Jesus. Please come in. Listen, nobody's looking around, but if you're praying that prayer to invite Jesus in, would you have the courage to raise your hand nice and high? Is anybody inviting Christ in today? Okay. 